we were born children, and some of us um, uh, are old enough to where we have children. Some of us have grandchildren. Anybody have great-grandchildren? We had a couple of those that are early. Hey, congratulations. Wow. So families are, are large in so many ways. I think um, <clears throat> one of the important things to ask ourselves is, is what can we do for our kids? And, and why is it important for us to be connected with our kids? Um, sometimes as adults, I think we get really busy and we get so involved with doing life as adults, like adult things, and, and we, we can forget about our kids. And, and, and I'm convinced that, that none of us who, who have children in our household, I don't think any of us wake up and make the conscious decision, I'm not going to have time with my child today. But I think life just gets complicated. And so um, today, I really want us to focus on the unchanging truth that children matter. And I want us to understand about why children matter, but more importantly, what God has to say about why children matter and the importance that comes from that. So there's a, there's a couple of examples, and, and the first one is that um, Jesus has been teaching the disciples, and he's just involved in this huge conversation about relationships, and you can imagine, you know, Jesus is talking about how we need to, to value other people, um, how we need to, you know, be aware of when they're in trouble, how we need to help them when they're in need, and, and how we need to love them even when they're different than us. So he's just laid out this huge conversation, and it just makes sense. But all of a sudden, the disciples, they're, they're kind of walking along with Jesus, and, and they've kind of lost sight of all that. And they ask him this question, so who's going to be the greatest of all of us in heaven? <laughs> And Jesus looked at him and said, what? And then to make matters worse, uh, people, you know, crowds, everywhere Jesus went were crowds, right? So crowds are following him in all of these places. And, and the crowds are bringing their children into the presence of Jesus. You know, Jesus is blessing them. He's touching them. He's talking to them. And he's putting them on his knee and he's, you know, like, here, pull my finger. And, you know, he's doing all those things that we, you know, do with kids. And he's, he's playing, some of you just got that. And he's uh, playing with them, you know, and, and, but he's loving on them. And then all of a sudden, the disciples are irate. Why in the world are you stopping what you're supposed to do, Jesus? And why are you playing with these kids? Why are you taking time for these kids? These kids, these kids, why, Jesus, why? And Jesus says this, and this is what Matthew shares. The little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. So the people brought their kids for Jesus to lay hands on and to give a blessing over but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, let the children come to me and don't hinder them. Don't hinder them. Don't, don't stop them. Don't, don't make a, a, a way that they can't come to me. Let them come to me freely, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now I find it really interesting that the disciples got angry. And I, and I spent some time thinking about this. Why, why in the world do we get angry when we're reminded to spend time with kids? You know, sometimes churches struggle with this. Sometimes churches um, get into conversations, and I don't think that they're conversations that anybody uh, has any, like, you know, meanness behind it, but it's almost kind of like we get so focused on what's somebody going to do for me and my group, which usually is adults, and we forget sometimes that, we have kids. And, and Jesus sets the model, and this is huge because this is one of the three models that I'm going to show this morning. He says, don't hinder them. Let them come to you. you know, invest in them. Love them. Be care, uh, put your care upon them. And more importantly, Jesus says, these children belong to God. 
They belong to God. Here's the second story. The second story I find is, is um, importance of children and where God makes them a priority is Jesus is coming up from the waters of baptism. So John has now baptized Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water, and here's how Matthew records it. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. That is a metaphor that is um, a way for us to see and to understand that Jesus was God, that Jesus had the Spirit of God, that Jesus uh, was anointed. And Jesus was who he said he was. And listen to this, a voice from heaven, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Did you hear that? This is my son whom I love, and in him I am well pleased. Now here, here's, the, uh, here's the other one, the transfiguration. Pastor Pam talked to us a little bit about that last week. And uh, uh, Peter, James, and John are on this uh, mountain and Jesus is there in this transfiguration. We see Elijah, we see Moses. And Peter's kind of in the middle of his, we need to build a couple of booths uh, speech with Jesus. And all of a sudden something happens. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then listen to this, listen to him. This is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased, and listen to him. Now here's the important part. In, in, in both of these scenarios, Jesus hears some very critical words. He hears words from his father that every child needs to hear from their parents. Every child needs to hear these words from their moms, their dads, their grandmas, their grandpas, their great-grandmas, their great-grandpas, their aunts and uncles. We need to hear these words. At baptism, the first thing that Jesus heard was, that I belong, that this is my son. And then secondly, he hears that, that I'm loved, I am chosen and I'm marked by God. And lastly, thirdly, he hears I'm special. I'm the delight of my father's life. Now think about that, you know, that's, that's what he heard from his heavenly father. He, you know, what happens when a child hears their father say that I delight in you as my child? What happens to a child when, when they hear their fathers or mothers say that you are marked by love? What happens when a child hears a father or mother say that you belong, that you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my grandchild, you are the love of my life? How do they respond to that? They respond to that with great confidence. They respond to it with great confidence. And they know that when they hear those words of confidence, that something has changed inside of them. And Jesus exhibits this kind of confidence. We know that as he is making the, the journey to the cross, to the road of, through Jerusalem, that he is at the time of the Passover, and Jesus is there, and, and uh, the time had come for him to, to say the last, the final things that he needed to say as he's making his way to the Father back into heaven. And here's what John says. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, so having loved the, the people that hung out with him, he continues to love them right up to the very end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. So, so he pictured this. You're at a very intimate dinner. You're surrounded by all of your friends, people you trust, people you love, people that you have poured your life into. 
and one of them is now going to betray you. Jesus is aware of this. Jesus knew that the Father had put in him complete charge of everything and that he came from God and he was on his way back to God. So what does it say here? So he got up. He got up from the supper table. He set aside his robe. He put on an apron. Then he began to wash the feet of the disciples. Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. He is in the presence of his betrayer. He is preparing for the cross, agony, everything that is on his mind. How was he able to do that? He was able to do that because the heavenly father had placed confidence in him. And confidence was given to Jesus because of the words of affirmation, the words of love, the actions poured out, but more importantly, that these words were shared before crowds and crowds of people. And it was this kind of confidence that, that Jesus was able to face the difficulty. And it also gave him confidence to serve. There's a confidence that, that, that happens in a child when we who are adults pour into children. When we make it our mission to pour into a child, when we make it our mission to look a child in the eye and say, I love you, you belong to me, that I am proud of you, that, that I forgive you when you mess up and, 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 and I want to teach you about your relationship with God. When we minister to our children that kind of way, they develop a confidence a confidence that will never wane. Diane Kay writes that, that people grow into the conversations that you have around them. So your children, our children, my children, your children, our children, grow into the kind of people that they are based upon the conversations we have around them. The things that they hear, the things that they observe, the things that we say and don't say to our children, they grow into the conversations that we, we have around them. And Jesus is a great model in this, and that's why I shared you with these, these two stories. Because he hears the Father say, my son in whom I am most pleased, my son belongs to me, my son is loved by me, listen to him because he has something important to say. And Jesus knows that the crowds have heard these words. So it wasn't like it was behind a closed door. Psst, hey, I kind of dig you. The world knew. No embarrassment, unashamedly. I love you, you're mine. The father gave the son a sense of belonging. What the father did for Jesus and what Jesus said and what happened in front of all those people, you and I can duplicate that. We can duplicate this same thing, and we can let our children know that they belong to us. But sometimes we have barriers with this. We have barriers, and the reason why we have barriers is some of us today come from homes where we didn't have those kinds of words of affirmation. Some here today never had their father say, you belong to me. I love you. You are the perfect apple of my eye. Some of us never heard our mothers say, you are the delight of my life. So it's an opportunity for us to be chain breakers today. 
We can be chain breakers in a sense that we can break the chain. Even though that may not have happened in our life, maybe our parents didn't do that for us, but we can say, we see the importance of this, that the scriptures and the life of Jesus teach us that we are on the forefront of being the kind of people that can pour into the children and pour into our children and children we don't even know, that we can break the chain and we can help our children become the people they want to be. When I was praying over this message for this week, I, I kept asking myself, what if hundreds of people today became chain breakers? What if thousands of people today became chain breakers? What if around the world a movement started where people like you and me who were adults, that we became chain breakers regardless of our past, but that we said we're gonna break the chain and we're going to invest and we're going to pour and we're going to motivate and we're going to encourage and we're going to love and we're going to empower children and give them the voice that God wants them to have. You see, we can't go back and make a brand new start, but all of us can start right now and make a brand new end. We can make a brand new end. And God is, is leading us to do that. Now, um, our oldest daughter gave us uh, that 23andMe uh, DNA uh, test for Christmas, and we haven't done it yet, and I've, I've kind of had some reservations. You know, I, I said to Patty, I said, what if we find out that we got some real in our family, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and she said, well, Bob, that's if you take yours. Um, <laughs> So, I, uh, so we've been debating on this, and I think we're about ready to do it, and, and we want to do that. And, and the, the challenge that you do when you do something like that is you do find out about your family roots, and you find out about all your good relatives, and you find out about all of your not-so-good relatives. And Mark Twain, the great writer, said that I spent a lot of money trying to discover the roots and history of my family, but now I'm spending twice as much money to keep my family a secret. And that's why I'm kind of afraid of, but I, I don't know. But um, it's like the family who, who wanted their uh, history written up so that they could, um, you know, see who was in their history. So they hired a, a professional biographer to do the work. But, but like many of us, they had some skeletons in the closet. And this particular family had an Uncle Henry. And Uncle Henry was not a good guy. He had committed murder. He had been tried and convicted of that. He had gone to the electric chair and they didn't want this to become public, so they said to the biographer, they said, okay, this is who we are, so how will you write around that? And the biographer said, no problem. I'll just say Henry occupied a chair of applied electronics at a very important government institution, and he was attached to his position with the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. <laughs> you know... Now, as a father, um, let me get serious for a second here. So, um, no, seriously, um, make sure you hear what I'm about to say. Um, I will never tell you I'm perfect because I'm not. Uh, those of you that are my really dear friends know that I have lots of flaws, and it's through your friendships that makes me a better person. My wife makes me the person I am. God makes me the individual I am. So I never want to just you know, be braggadocious about my life and family and those things because I'm not perfect. Um, but I have strived all my life to be a, a, a good dad. I really have. We have two beautiful daughters. We have six wonderful grandchildren. And um, I try all my life to be the, the best dad that I possibly can be. 
And where I found the challenge, where I found the rub of being a great dad was when I allowed things to come between me and our daughters and those things were earthly things. Um, I came from a vocation prior to ministry that was sales related and those of you that ever been in sales, you know that you gotta be out there hammering on stuff and making contacts and calls into the night and all those kinds of things. And, and there were some lot of long days, long nights and at a time, point in time I told this story when, when Patty one time you know, actually had to make an appointment so she could see me. And so I learned a long time ago that the, 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 the focus of family and the focus of children especially is very important. So I made the decision that early on in life, that no matter how busy life was, that, that I would make sure that whatever the cost was, that I would be at their dancing events, their school events, all of the events that I possibly could, because I wanted them to know that I loved them, and I wanted them to know they were the delight of my life, that they were um, everything to me. And then I went into ministry, and, and life changed and got really even more complicated. And, I, and listen, we all have hard jobs, and I'm never ever gonna tell you that what I do is harder than what you do. It's just different. We all have different things that we do. But what I learned when I became a pastor was that, that you know, your, your time is never yours anymore. I mean, there's always somebody to see, always something to do. There's always one more prayer to give. There's always one more meeting. There's this and there's that. There's, you know, responding to calls all through the night and in the mornings of people who have joyous things and tragedies happen, hospital, unanticipated this and that and so on and so forth. And so ministry really put a pinch at, at my ability to be a better dad present dad. And so I made a conscious decision then, I kicked it up a notch and I promised our girls, I said, whenever you call me, I will always take your call. I could be in the middle of a meeting with my district superintendent, I could be in a council meeting, wherever it is, when you call me, I will take the call. I'll step out of the room and because I want you to know that I value this relationship and how important it is that you matter, that you matter. So this is what we learn from this relationship um, that God has here with, with us. And it hasn't really changed. I mean, you know, even with our grandkids that we, we pour out into them, and, and you all have met our grandkids. You know, the, the, the roof comes off this place when they visit, and they're, they're, they're fun, and, and, and they're, they're, they're just uh, lovely, like all of your kids. But Patty and I, uh, we, we sit them down, and we do it quietly, and we, we remind each one of them, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. And then when they get together, they start fighting. Well, Poppy said I'm his favorite. Nani said I'm his favorite. But that's what we want. We, no, we don't want them fighting. We, 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 <laughs> that was bad. We want them to feel treasured. And I believe that that's what we learned this morning with, with this story with God. John writes this, the apostle says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I mean, think about this. The omnipotent, all-powerful God, omnipresent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-present, God of all power and awe, that same God loves you. That same God loves me. In our brains, we just, we can't, we can't think of it. We always want to put a ceiling on it, and we always want to make God's love for us feel like in human terms. Let's go to the prodigal. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the prodigal story. 
The son leaves the father, spends his fortune, starts having second thoughts. I'm gonna go home, maybe my dad will give me a bunk out in the barn, uh, but I'm not gonna go home as a son, I'm gonna go home as a slave. And the son is convinced of something. Sometimes we get that way in our relationships. We, something happens and we run from God and we've convinced ourselves that we just are not worthy to be in the presence of God or we have a, a relational issue within our family and we have convinced ourselves that the one in which we're in conflict would never want to speak to us again, would never want to forgive us, nor would we ever forgive them. We make these, these, these uh, decisions that aren't the right decisions. The son made that decision and he comes home and, and as he's kind of thinking through his head, okay, I'll say this to dad and I'll say that and um, I'll tell him I'll be a slave and I'll, I'll work and he doesn't have to pay me and, and I'll eat like the pigs. And, and his father runs to him, loves him, puts a cape on him, puts a ring on his finger, says slaughter the fatted calf and the father says, I love you, I love you, I love you. My son, my son, my son, you have come home. And that's God's message for us. God looks at us and says, come home, come home. Here's what I want you to hear. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. The only ones that I know is the ones who have entrusted that with me and I'm on that journey with you. But I don't, but I, but I do know is that the words are always the same. How could God love me because I and fill in the blank? How could God forgive me when I fill in the blank? How could God even care about me fill in the blank? Guys, it's not a head thing. It's the powerful love and grace of God. And that's what God showers upon us. The Apostle Paul writes, I pray that, that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, this love that we can't even think about that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says everyone is loved by God. Everyone is loved by God. Sinners only, non-sinners only, no, everyone. Ethnicity, everyone. Gender, everyone. But I've done this, everyone, God loves us all. And the challenge is that you and I, every day, make choices who we will love. I choose to love this person, that person, and that person. Oh, that person kind of axed me off, I'm not gonna love you. That person did this, you're out off the island. This person here, I don't really like the way they look or who they, I don't know them, but they, just something about them doesn't feel right. My gut tells me I'm not gonna love them. That's what we do. But Paul reminds us that's not what God does. And Jesus commands us, folks, to love each other as Christ himself loves us. And this powerful love 
that comes. Here's what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. How blessed is God. What a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ. And he takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had in us in mind, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into the family through Jesus Christ. Think about that. Long ago, before we were even born, God chose to adopt us into his family. What a pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of this lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. God loves you. Whatever you've done, whatever you think has wrecked your life, God's love will find a way. So this morning, if, um, if you're kind of in one of those places where you're being held back like a chain's holding you that you can't experience the love of God, then I wanna invite you to come let us pray with you this morning. If you're, if you're feeling this morning that I'm gonna be one of those pastors that you talked about, that my mom and dad, well, you know, they were great people, but I never felt that love and I'm gonna be one that breaks the chain and I'm gonna make sure that I'm investing in loving kids. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Pastor Pam and I, we'd love to pray for you. If you're kind of at a crossroads in life right now, just not real sure what you're supposed to do, let us pray with you. God will break every chain. We can bet on that because you as the child of God matter.